Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Gallagher, Jr. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate uh, everyone's support the last two seasons. Season 3. Today I have my Golf Channel colleague, Karen Stepples. She won the 2004 Women's British Open, had a 15-year career on the LPGA before her transition into TV golf. She now works as a golf analyst with the Golf Channel, PGA Tour Live, and uh, really has improved her golf uh, broadcasting skills. And uh, one of the good players and one of the good people and a dear friend of mine. So uh, let's get started with Season 3 and Karen Stupples. All right, I've got my good friend Karen Stupples on the phone now. Karen, I appreciate you taking some time to be on the Only One Shot Golf Podcast today. It's a lot of fun always getting to hang out with you, so I'm just sad we're not doing it in person, but over the phone's better than nothing. Yeah, absolutely, and you're pretty busy these days with Golf Channel duties, TV jobs, raising Logan, but most of all, mowing the yard. It's a big yard, <laughs> so I know that's become a passion uh, for you lately. But uh, I was reading up on you, and your dad, I think, got you started, but you'd caddy for him yeah. to, to earn some extra spending money. What was that like growing up or kind of getting started in the game? Well, it, it was, I mean, my family really didn't have an awful lot. Um, mm-hmm. My dad directed traffic around the Port of Dover, and my mother pressed blouses in a factory. And wow. So we, you know, we really didn't have too much spare cash floating around. So when I asked for pocket money, my dad said, well, you know, you don't get anywhere in life without working for it. So you can either help your mother with the washing up every night because, you know, we didn't have a dishwasher mm-hmm. or you can come and uh, caddy for me. Now, my dad was an artisan member of a golf course, which meant that he got really cheap membership of a course if he did work on the course, like go mm. fill diverts mm-hmm. and, and do like general things. So he was, he was that kind of a member of the course and, uh, for a long time, but eventually he managed to to get full membership, and uh, and we were playing like a he would play in a regular game on a Saturday morning, and he would he would pull me along, and I would pull his trolley around the golf course, and I was always swishing away at the golf club, you know, I, I was always quite sporty. I played field hockey, did all kinds mm-hmm. of athletics, and um, and he looked at me and he said, "Would you like to try?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to give it a go." And I'm thinking, any any extra excuse to get to hang out with my dad would, sure. would be great. So he he said, well, I don't know enough about it. He had a he, at this time he had a, an eighteen handicap. Okay. And so he said, I about it. He said, but uh, I'll get you. The, the the pro had some junior lessons, and um, and a big group junior lesson. I'll get you in there. So every Saturday afternoon after I pulled his trolley round, we would go and line up on the practice ground, and there'd be about ten, anywhere between five and fifteen kids. You know, of different ages, uh, all lined up on the on the driving range, and for a pound, uh, you would get the the pro or the assistant pro would come out and make sure your you know your, your basics were good and everything was all up and running. So for a pound, you got to hit balls and you got to have good instruction and you got a can of soda and a and a, and a candy bar. Wow. It was a, it was a pretty it was a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, it's a and, cool. Um, that, well, it was incentive too. It was incentive yeah. to get out there, and I think you kind of grew that passion. Uh, yeah. What did you learn in that process of, of you know beginning lessons and watching your dad play and caddy? What did you learn during that whole time together? Well, the biggest lesson that I learned was that obviously um, I enjoyed my time on the golf course with him, mm-hmm. and I watched him play, and I watched the matches, and I watched the niggles, and the you know the you know where you've got this to win, and then there was always a little jab or a jibe, and a, you know a, you know this and that, and then, uh, that, so I learned that side of things, but I also you know learned that you know 
you know, hitting it far was good. And and um, but but the biggest thing for me was that once I had got into the junior lessons, and this this was for my own personal personal side of things, was that there was an old uh, grown-in bunker on the practice ground. It had long grass growing mm-hmm. in it. And my sole purpose in life when I first started out was to get the ball, ball airborne. And so every every week it was a challenge to get the ball up in the air. And then as I got better, it was to get the ball up in the air and land in that little bunker. And then it was to get the ball up in the air and land over the bunker. So I learned to set myself little goals and little targets right from the word go. And and I really think that that, that really helped me progress throughout the course of my golf. But the one thing that my dad did say to me, and I think one of the, the best lessons that he probably ever taught me was after my first group lesson, he said to me, okay, you, now you've had a lesson, you've got to go and practice. He said, you can't just have a lesson and not do anything. You've got to go practice. So he took me to another part of the practice ground and I used his practice balls and, and I hit balls as long as I as long as he would let me. Wow, that is such a cool story. And, and, and you had kind of a, a challenge there to get it over the bunker or getting to the bunker yeah. and that stuff. When did, and you said, you know, times were tough, money was uh, tight. When, yeah. when did you start playing in tournaments? Because I know over in, in England and, and, and everywhere over more, so Europe, match play is so big. It was when I grew up, and we're not here in the States. We don't have it enough. But when did you start kind of playing some junior tournaments and maybe some competitions? It took me. It took me a little bit of time uh, because I because every birthday and Christmas I would ask for a golf club, mm-hmm. and so and then I would get so I get a golf club at my birthday, which is middle of the year in June, and then one for Christmas, and then every little spare bit of money I could rustle up, I would buy more clubs. So eventually, you know, give it a year, you know, year and a half, two years, I had a half a set of clubs, and I could start playing. So I started to I I was hitting balls on the practice ground one day, and uh, one of the lady members of the club saw me practicing and then spoke to my dad and said, Alan, I see you have a daughter who plays golf. We you know we're trying to recruit um, young girls to come and be part of the county Kent County Junior Golf Association, which is the the little slice of England that I lived in was was the county of Kent, mm-hmm. and um, and she said, you know, just bring her along. We've got this little competition going along. Just let her go out and, and, and play. And dad's like, oh, she doesn't really, doesn't, have, doesn't really have any experience of this. And I don't really know if this is. And she's like, just just bring her along. Mm-hmm. So off off we went to a course called Rootham Heath. And it was a nine-hole golf course. And I played my first ever competition with 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 uh, girls like me that had, mm-hmm. never, that had hardly ever been on a golf course before. And we went out with with a lady who was, you know, chaperoning us and and supervising us and making sure that we knew what we were doing and how we were supposed to do it and, you know, all the little rules and things and etiquette side of things. Dad was like lurking around and looking in the bushes and (laughs) and her name was was, uh, Jenny Ben. And she went up to my dad after about the first hole and said to him, Alan, you've got to go inside and let your daughter play. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. <laughs> so, so he, uh, so he went off inside and uh, we continued. And I think it probably took us near enough three hours, maybe three and a half, to play those nine holes because we were hitting it forever. But we'd never been on the course before. But it was more, it was more than a score on a scorecard. It was helping us know the game and understanding what you had to do in terms of, you know, the shots mm-hmm. and putting it on a scorecard and how you mark the ball and all those little things. And, and being around other girls doing it was pretty huge rather than just being around a bunch of my dad's old friends. Were you intimidated <laughs> at that first couple of times getting out there or not? Uh, I don't remember being mm-hmm. intimidated by it. I, Cause all, all I'd ever known was, was my game, but I, but I did know that, 
that I had seen the bigger girls, the more experienced players, the older girls winning trophies and winning prizes. And I thought, that's what I want to be. I don't want to be in this group. That's the group I want to be in. Mm-hmm. So again, it gave me another, it gave me goals, goals and incentives. And I think the biggest key to, you know, so far reliving this experience has been goal setting. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I was a goal setter. Some people aren't into that but i thought you know it's something to strive for something that kind of yeah. keeps you on track but you know i have i have three daughters of course one we call her the legacy breaker the youngest she won't play <laughs> she's probably the one with the most sense. but she's got a great <laughs> golf swing but i wasn't never going to force her but you know my other yeah. the older two daughters uh they had to play against the boys uh because there yep. weren't a lot of girls playing and i think you probably did as well uh yep. what was that like having to play against the guys and and now, I, I use the word intimidating. It wasn't really that. It was kind of uncomfortable sometimes for them. Uh, mm. they, they felt like they fit in, but then guys would be guys. And I think that, that was always <laughs> a little bit uh, tough for them to make those adjustments. What adjustments did you have to make once you start playing against the guys? Well, honestly, it had, when we were on the golf course, it was just golf. And mm-hmm. there was nothing. It was no, there, was no, there was no strangeness to it. I was, I was always a I was pretty strong and right. I always could hit the ball far. I was athletic mm-hmm. and uh, was always, you know, playing against the guys didn't ever really phase me. I mean, I'd used to play catch with my dad all the time and right. he would hum he would hum a cricket ball at me as hard as he could and a tennis ball at me as hard as he could. He wouldn't he would never play easy just because I was a girl. Like mm-hmm. he would play he would he would you know, it would be as if I was his, his boy, you know. Mm-hmm. It was no different for him. And so I didn't feel like it was any different for me being out there on the golf course. I mean, obviously, when you're off the course, there's there's some weirdness as you get older. I mean, as girls and boys right. grow up, it can it can get strange at times. Right. And um, but but when we were on the golf course, everything was just golf. And um, and it was and I used to go and play junior matches, and it was never a boys and a girls team. It was just one team, and mm-hmm. I used to go play these junior matches for my club, and we used to play against other clubs in the area. And I remember going and playing this this one match, and um, I, I, I think I think they paid me at last because I was the girl on the team. But mm-hmm. it, you know what? It didn't matter to me because I was just playing golf. I mean, I don't even know. You know, it didn't. It just didn't phase me. I just loved golf, and I loved it because I was doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And 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 nobody was going to interfere with how I was feeling about that. So I played. So I rolled up. I played against this one boy, and I, I think they thought that. You know, because I was the girl, they would put their worst player against me. Well, poor boy, I beat him ten and eight. Oh my I gosh! Mean, it was it was an absolute <laughs> drubbing, and and I'm like, what? What do you have to do that? I mean, and, and now looking back on it, I mean, I hope he still plays golf because I could have started for life. But you know, you say that I hear that all the time <laughs> about my wife because they played the same tees when she yeah. played. I'm sure you did too. Uh, and they would say, "Oh man, she used to beat me like a drum." I mean, I almost quit over it. And, and yeah, uh, but it's times you know you remember those things. And and what I did here, and we had three or four girls who were kind of beginning, like you said, and wanted to play some golf and had potential. One of them was my daughter, and I was like, you know, maybe we can play an adjusted tee, maybe ten percent. And if you mm-hmm. did it at ten percent, we could maybe get more girls playing. I didn't care if mine went to college to play or I was trying to get yeah. more girls involved. And so they yeah. fought me pretty hard on the 10%. And I said, if you do this properly yeah. and you play the boys at 6,600, well, then the girls are out to be at six 6,000. Well, that's going to be really yeah. long for them. So if you do this properly, it works. Uh, and yeah. finally they got it passed and, and, 
and it was more fun. We had, and those four girls all went on to play D1 golf and girls yeah. golf in Mississippi kind of started growing. It had nothing to do with whether my girl would win or, or beat the boys or whatever. If they did, then so be it. And one of the cool things, the guys, like you kind of said, when Kathleen, who played at LSU, my second daughter, well, she just beat us. You know, I don't care yeah. if she's playing 10% or 100% or whatever. She just beat us that day. We just have to play yeah. better. And I thought that was kind of cool for them to take that attitude as opposed to, well, you know, she got to play up. And, you know, yeah. that's the challenging part for the for the girls that are trying to play in high school golf or on with the boys team uh, is, is to do that. But I think it was a great experience. But at what point, as you were getting better, did you think, well, maybe I might want to go play in college or, or maybe advance? <laughs> uh, because that's kind of a – for kids over here, that's something they think of at 13 or 14. But when did you maybe think that was a possibility? I, I think um... – College, I don't know really. I mean, school was always a bit bit of a tough thing for me. I struggled mm-hmm. in school, was never particularly great. I mean, as I've moved on through my life, I've you know, I understand that I have some difficulties in, in the learning department, but, you know, I'm totally cool with that now. But at the time, I struggled in school. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it, it was, I was probably about 16 was when I realized that I could be quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, I got selected to play for the England junior junior ladies team at 16 and I got through to like a semi-final of the English girls championship and I started to play well in some bigger national events and and I then I started to win some um like the the southeast ladies championship and stuff like that I started to play well at about 16 and started to start to get recognized well it's all very well being a big fish in a small pond of junior golf and, Mm -hmm. and playing well and getting selected for teams and you know doing all that good stuff and the exciting things and getting new team uniforms and playing matches and this and that is fun but then all of a sudden you move from being a junior to being a senior and you've gone from being a very big fish to being a very small fish again. And the transition between junior golf and senior golf was was quite stressful for me. And, um, and I, I didn't find it very easy, and I wanted to escape. Mm-hmm. And um, my escape was to university in America okay. uh, because I thought, I just want to get away, and I need to get better, and I need to improve. And one of the best things I could possibly do was to go to college over here. I'd known a player at my club called Helen Wadsworth. She went to Wake Forest. And mm-hmm. It had been like a bit, a bit of a make, the making of her as a player. And and I had seen what it had done for her. And I thought, you know, maybe this is something that I should do. I knew uh, Janice Moody had yep. made the move over here to college from San Jose. And I thought, mm, well, if it's good enough for Janice, it might be what I need to do. So I started to look around. And I'm an impulsive little what's it at the best of times i'm impatient i you know i just want it now in fact if i can't have it now i wanted it yesterday yeah you know and so i this was you know i just turned 19 so i'd done an extra year at school and i was just you know and and i'm like i've just got to get out of this rat race of trying to play senior golf and i just want something different i want to expand my horizons i want some exciting i want something new and so college seemed like a you know the best option so I realized that this was this was June, but I wanted to get out of here in August. Like, I didn't want to wait another year. So I joined an agency called College Prospects of America, and they sent my resume to all Division One schools. In the meantime, I had to take an SAT, which I had no idea what an SAT was. I, do, I just had to go and sit and wait and hope that somebody didn't show up so I could actually go and take the exam. <laughs> Luckily, somebody didn't show up and I went in to take the exam. Luckily, I managed to just scrape by and get enough enough, enough of a score. But uh, Arkansas State had a first-year program. Okay. And they were looking for somebody, and so they picked me up for that first year. 
And so off I went in August. I'd never been to America before. So you I'd never visited? You never visited trip. a school no, or anything? Didn't I wow. didn't visit. I had never been on a plane and come over to America. I've maybe flown probably five times my entire life before getting on the plane at London Heathrow Airport, transferring in Atlanta and getting oh off gosh. at Memphis. How much of a... And that had pa- to be a shock. It was. My parents, my parents literally... You know, I mean, how much, I mean, as a parent now, think of how much of a leap of faith that must be, sending (laughs) your eldest daughter on a plane to a country that none of you had ever been to. That's unreal. uh, To go to a school that you don't really know anything about, to be picked up by the time the golf coaches were allowed to pick you up. Uh, NCAA rules don't say that you're allowed to do that now, Mm -hmm. but at the time, you know, you could. So I was being picked up by the the coach and uh, being taken to, to my dorm. And that's all that anybody knew. (laughs) <laughs> and you have no car and no way of getting around. Nope, You're just nothing. over here in a, a foreign country so, to you. Wow. So, so he dropped he drops me off in my dorm room, and it's there's two beds, a bathroom, a closet, and a chest of draw and some drawers. And for me, I have my golf clubs and travel cover and a suitcase. I have no sheets, no pillows, no blankets, no towels, none of that. Oh, my gosh. You got nothing. <laughs> so I have nothing. I have nothing, just the clothes and my golf clubs. And so I'm thinking, oh, this is this is going to be a bit, a, bit, a, bit, a bit of a trouble thing, <laughs> troublesome here. So luckily, the very next morning, um, my roommate, who was uh, Rochelle Bond, she was from Missouri, she was coming on down, and uh, she came with her mom, and they, and she brought everything for the room. She brought a TV and a hi-fi. I'm like, oh, thank goodness, we've got TV. Yeah. And, uh, and a hi-fi. And she looked at me, she's like, you have nothing, do you? I said, no. She said, come on, let's go to Walmart. Let's get you fixed up. So I'm like, oh, thank you. So so she she literally drove me everywhere and looked after me and took took me under her wing and it was it was pretty cool. She was a good friend to me that year. That's so I mean I I I look at it today and of course that's been a while since she did that but even back then to now and I know my daughters have had kids from other countries. That has to be amazingly tough, intimidating. I mean I was going to ask the adjustments yeah. obviously you can't even plan for that. And and no. I think I think about what if I went over to wherever and didn't speak the language at least you spoke mm-hmm. the language or, or, or yep. understood it but can you imagine a kid coming from uh wherever uh, and don't it's, speak the language that's unbelievable i can't even imagine taking that no leap. that would be so <laughs> intimidating and homesick i know you had to get homesick that, that i was year. i was i was the biggest adjustment to me was not being able to get around or do anything i, yeah. I had come from a town a small town where I could walk to any shop that I wanted to walk to, get whatever I needed. I could walk to the course if I needed. I could walk anywhere I needed to or get a taxi or get in a bus or train or do whatever and get anywhere. Um, At Arkansas State, I didn't have access to that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, "Um, I'm stuck. Unless somebody can take me, I am stuck. So it was was That's scary. That is really... I mean, I I talk about... A couple of my daughters had... Uh, or Kathleen had a girl from Sweden, and she didn't have anything. And she did finally get a car, and it's like she'd follow her around like a puppy. Well, I, I would too. Yeah, it's intimidating. Yep. Uh, exactly. And, and, and yeah, my, once you play golf, you're okay. But it's the other stuff you have to make that adjustment to. My parents were like, "What? What do you need a car for? You know, yeah. we get you a bike." I'm like, uh, "You don't understand." Yeah, I tried my like my bag and clubs on my bike and try to drive, ride to the golf course. And, mm-hmm. and you you stay there, but you end up transferring to Florida State. Yes. Uh, yeah. And and what was that adjustment like? Now you've gone to a different school. Of course, the temperatures mm-hmm. could get pretty cold at Arkansas State up and and they did. And that, that's had to be an adjustment. But you you go down to Florida State, which is an even bigger school. 
That had to yeah. be a little bit of an adjustment as well, huh? It was, but it wasn't. Um, I had a good friend that went to college there. Okay. Uh, her name's Kate Burton, and you might know her. She does a little bit of uh, TV stuff as well. Um, when the tour's in Asia, Kate will sometimes do some commentary. Oh, okay. It's ironic that, that we both do the same job now. Mm-hmm. But uh, but she played on the golf team there at Florida State, and I'd kept in touch with her because, um, you know, she was just like she came from. She was close to my area. We'd played lots of junior golf together. We'd known each other. We were quite we were good friends before going over. And um, and and so in many ways it it felt much more comfortable to me knowing that there was somebody there that I had known already, mm-hmm. and even and the fact that I was able to live off campus and I finally got a car, and um, just it just it just felt a little bit uh, even though it was bigger it didn't feel bigger it didn't feel quite as intimidating it felt like. Uh, it actually felt like home to me. Like it, that, okay. the, the coach, Debbie Dillman, was fabulous. You know, she made me feel very comfortable. We had a girl from Spain on my team, Tiffany Fawcett, who was also my, one of my roommates uh, in, in, in our apartment. She was fabulous, and her family really literally took me under their wing. And like every Thanksgiving and holidays, I would go down and stay with them in Ormond Beach and, you know, really made my life, um, you know, very comfortable and, and made me feel quite at home. I mean, yeah, it was like a, they almost adopted me, which is which was fantastic. That's that's huge because I remember Sissy when she was at LSU, my wife, and she had the girls up for Thanksgiving. You know, we had two from Denmark or two from Netherlands, you know, all over the place. And it's just, it, yeah. you, know, you felt like you were home when you weren't home, and it was easier to not be homesick. But that, that yeah. it, it's a, it's an amazing thing. But you, you're playing in college, everything's going well. At what point did you think, well? I'm really improving. Maybe I might want to turn pro. Was that in college or right <laughs> after you finished? Because, I mean, nobody – I mean, some kids go in there. That's my ultimate goal. But you kept improving. But when did you maybe think, well, yeah. oh, maybe I'll give this a shot? Um, I Like, really, as soon as I came over to college, I knew that I wanted to try and make a living within the golf industry. I okay. just love golf so much. I didn't know if it was going to be playing, if it was going to be a pro at a golf course, or somewhere within the golf industry was, was what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I came to, to Florida State, I, I that, that we had a golf tournament in Tallahassee, uh, LPGA tournament. There was an LPGA tournament in Daytona. And I'm like, there are women making money playing mm-hmm. this game. This is something that maybe I should investigate a bit further. And so I looked into it and, and I thought, yeah, this isn't, this isn't half bad. This is maybe what I want to do. And at that point, at that point as well, I'd started to feel really comfortable with with being in America, and I, I felt like this was my home, and I really wanted to stay. Like after mm-hmm. college, I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to make this my home. And so um, I, I was asking my, you know, college advisor, I'm like, how, you know, what do I have to do to stay? How can I stay? And she's like, well, um, you're going to have to get a job, which I can't see you doing with your grades and everything <laughs> else. You're not that exceptional, but. You are exceptional at golf," she said. So if you could make golf what you're going to do, you could be end up staying here. And I'm like, "Huh? Now, 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 this is something interesting." So, um, as it turns out, I left uh, after two years at Florida State because ultimately, it was I would have probably still been in school now trying to graduate. <laughs> um, it was going to take me a long time. I, I was that I was that player on Debbie's team that that you know I would I would go with my with my schedule of classes and I would she would look at them and said mm, I really think we should switch trig yeah. out for basketball <laughs> <laughs> so that that was me so I was that just to stay eligible to keep, keep my C average I mean I really struggled I mean people listening that don't know 
I'm dyslexic and I have ADD. So mm. passing exams, and I didn't know this when I was in school. I mean, I just used to wing it all and somehow would do okay. I mean, I guess I, you know, I'm, I've got enough common sense to get by, but um, but passing exams was getting harder. And, and the, the longer I was in school, the, the, the tougher it was getting. And the more I realized that I just wanted to play golf. And so ultimately I, I left because I was, I just couldn't see myself I could not see myself struggling through another year of school because I was guilty when I was playing golf and not studying. And I felt guilty when I was studying and not playing golf. And it, I was just so torn and I had to make a choice and I chose golf and I ended up going back to the UK, getting selected for Curtis cups, working at doing bar work and waitressing and doing like three different jobs, trying to save money. But eventually I, I had a really lucky break and ended up getting my tour card. Yeah, it's, I mean, everybody just thinks, oh, yeah, we go out of college, they get their tour card, and they go play. It's not like that. There, there's always no. those bumps in a road. But, you know, you talk about that in, in, in ADD, dyslexia. That's a real thing. I mean, some people use it yeah. as an excuse. But, you know, I know my son, Thomas, but he was – we've kind of figured that out in about ninth or tenth grade, which made college a lot easier. You didn't really yeah. figure that out till later, which would make nope. it almost nearly impossible uh, exactly. to, to do that. But you, you talk about that journey. You finally get through tour school. What was that feeling like? Like, Hey, I've got my LPGA <laughs> card. I am ready to rock and roll. What was that like? It, it was amazing because, um, I had that my lucky break was that one of the guys I wait tables that I was waiting a table on knew my golf history and had read about me in local papers and said, you know, why haven't you turned pro? And I said, you know, this is what I'm doing to save money to give it a go. He said, well, write me a budget and let me know how much you need, and I'll give it to you. I thought he was joking, but mm -hmm. he wasn't. He ended up giving me the money to try, and he said, I'll give this to you for three years because I don't want you to feel, um, you know, that you have to do it first time. His name was Keith Rawlings, his wife Sue. Lovely. I mean, he said, I've been lucky in my life, and I feel like you deserve to have a chance. So, so off I go. I play in the 98 Curtis Cup. I then play in the, the U.S. Women's Amateur, and then I go straight down to the qualifying school, the first the first session of which was in in Florida, mm -hmm. and and I played horribly. I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be a disaster. I don't know what I'm doing. But anyway, I, I gutted it out. Went to stay with my friend, with my old roommate Tiffany in Ormond Beach, and practiced and worked at a club. Then I flew over to California because they gave back in those days they gave you a second chance sure to get did. the final stage. So it was round at, uh, at in the, at the at the A&A course mm -hmm. at uh, Mission Hills. Mm -hmm. And and so I went out and for some reason, I just got, I just had, I just, I don't know what it was. I just found a little Band-Aid something that made my putting brilliant that week. I mean, it was just, I'm like, what is this? this you got is, out of your all way. Of I'm, all of a sudden, sudden, I'm putting like in B Park. I'm like, mm. what is going on? And I did. I totally got out of my way. I played the course fabulous i won it by eight shots wow. and i'm like wait a minute maybe if i can win this by eight shots i actually have a chance at this maybe mm -hmm. i'm better than i think i am so off i went down to final qualifying and got a conditional card um which didn't give me very much status right. on the lpga but it gave me enough I, I mean i got into like 13 14 events something like that my first year but it was a relief that mm -hmm. i'd done it and it was like i've done it i've I've got my card. I can play, but it was that. It, but it was the belief that I got from winning by eight shots there in Palm Springs that really kind of carried me through. Like, well, maybe I am good enough for this. What year was that? The, that was in uh, the qualifying. There was in '98. My rookie year okay. was '99. '99. Okay. 
That's yeah. amazing because you went from having one club <laughs> as a kid yeah. to now the LPGA, yeah. and that dream is yeah. finally coming true in a reality. Did you have to pinch yep. yourself a couple times going like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it? But I did. Yeah. I, I did, and it really hits you when you roll up to your first tournament. And you have to, and I went through a Monday qualifier, and you're like, oh, this really sucks, Monday qualifying. But mm. then, when you do get into a, into a tournament, I Monday qualified in Hawaii. I literally got, got like two hours of sleep because I flew over on the Sunday night, had to, you know, got two hours of sleep, got up, played, got in on the qualifier, and then next thing you know, you're 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 there playing a practice round with Betsy King. You're like, uh, this doesn't feel real. Yeah, this really doesn't feel real. And that and that was pinching myself. And Janice Moody was out on tour by then, and. And uh, she said to me, Karen, it's great that you Monday qualified. Now the real work begins. You've got to make money now. I'm like, yeah, no, no kidding. And so it's 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 a uh, golf. I think is a game of of uh, allowing yourself small victories and allowing yourself a small amount of time to savor those victories. But you've got to jump back on that horse as quickly as you got off it to get going again. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what did still. you learn through that journey? And you pretty much answered that right there. But uh, yeah. 2004, you get your first win on the LPGA. Yeah. Uh, and you have a banner year in 2004, the women's British. And I mean, now it's the dream is really a reality. Uh, yeah. Did you feel pressure after that to maybe keep improving? Or what, what goes through your mind after you win that and you have this banner year? I mean, for a lot of players, they feel like they have to play like somebody else. And, and they don't re, you know, they, they don't really allow themselves to enjoy that moment and take the pressure off themselves. They put more pressure on yourself. Did you put a lot of pressure on yourself after that or just kind of free it up and relax after? No, I believe I did. I, I wanted more. I didn't mm -hmm. want that to be the only one. I wanted more of it. And I came pretty close. Like 2005, I came pretty close a couple of times. I felt, I feel like I let the U.S. Women's Open go in 2005. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I've let the A&A Inspiration go a couple of times as well. Like I've been close in, in a number of majors and I, I feel like um, I've had my chances and I just couldn't quite ever seal the deal and, and some of that I put down to um, a just a belief in, in myself as much as anything mm -hmm. like yes I won but I never like I look back on myself and I think and I, and I look at the stats now as I do in my job and as you do and I look back at what, what I was and I'm like wait a minute I was pretty bloody good yeah. but at the time I but at the time I really didn't feel that way at mm -hmm. the time I felt I'm not good enough I've got to improve I need to keep moving forward I've got to make I've got to you know I kept always looking for to be better to want more to be you know which is fine but you've also got to give yourself a pat on the back too to say I was really I'm pretty good at this and 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 that little bit of extra confidence was needed to sort of carry you over the hump I mean uh, you know, you think back to 2004, 5, 6, 7, you've got Annika, Lorena, mm -hmm. Yanni, yeah, it's Kari Webb, you've got Siri Park, you've got like a whole ton of fab, you know, Hall of Fame players there, you know, or, you know, potentially Hall of Fame players or, you know, world class, winning, dominant players. And, you know, winning's going to be hard. But if, you, if I had broken it down more and actually saw what I was doing, I'd have been pretty proud of myself at many times. And, you know, when, when I think back now, when people ask me about, you know, when I stopped playing, which was 2014, and they say, you know, do you feel like you left more on the table? I'm like, you know, there are times that I feel like I could have, but honestly, I'm really satisfied with the career I had. I mean, I did more than, you know, more in my golf than anybody really gave me gave me a chance of doing, you mm -hmm. know, when I was young. You know, I had a number of people say to me, you could never make a living playing golf. Don't you think you should get a proper job? 
And um, and no, I, I just was never going to let let let, the, let that dream die. I wanted, I needed to give it a go. I needed to try. I feel, you know, thank goodness I did. Yeah, I think sometimes you mention that, and it's not that you you grow up in that atmosphere where it's not necessarily the country club atmosphere or someone's pumping you up constantly a little yeah. bit like me i worked for my dad he was a club pro hey you're not a member you're you're an employee and and it i fought my confidence sometimes that it always i kept like you said fighting to try to get up there to keep proving myself to prove to everybody yeah. else that i really belonged there and i think yeah. a lot of us go through that and, and that's the tough part but you mentioned 2005 solheim cup at cricket stick back in my home state in indiana yeah uh you mentioned Team golf, and a lot of it's played in Europe. What's the Solheim Cup like for you as a player? Because I know now you're covering it as a TV analyst, but the, the, explain to the to listeners the Solheim Cup, especially from the European view, uh, and how special that week is and being part of that team event. It's, uh, well, you, you, you are the, the pinnacle of your, of your continent's golf, essentially. And you represent all of, all of that continent's golf's dreams and hopes in one championship you know you're you're there as your as that continent's representative in this contest and um and it and you know and you feel it and you feel nervous on every single one of your shots there's not one and you know because you've mm-hmm. been there there's not one of those shots that you ever feel truly relaxed over it doesn't matter if it's the most straightforward little you know stupid shot that they're making you hold out from a foot you know it's still like Really? You still get that little jang of nerves in your stomach just because it is what it is. It means so much. And um, because it's not just about you, because everything we do in golf is just us. And mm-hmm. it's and we're selfish people. You know, we play golf for us. Right. But all of a sudden, you know, you're, it's uncomfortable because it's not just about you. It's about the rest of your teammates. And most golfers don't grow up in a team environment. It's, uh-uh. Most of us have, have been very comfortable being on our own. In fact, we kind of like it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, to all of a sudden have the rest of your team's hopes resting on your shoulders or the rest of your continent's hopes resting on your shoulders, it all of a sudden becomes something, a, a big monster that, that wouldn't normally be there. So dealing with that is one thing. But also everybody that plays in those um, relishes those feelings too. It's a very weird sort of feeling. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure you, you can totally relate. Like it felt really hard, but it also felt really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like scratching a mosquito bite. You know, you, you the, the mosquito bite itches, and you scratch it, and you scratch it, and scratch it, and it, and it feels so good, yet it hurts. Yeah, where's the calamine lotion when I need it? <laughs> yes. It's, so, it's, it's just like that. I mean, it's, it's the, I mean the, to, to have a captain or to earn enough points, put their trust in you to be part, in part of that is, is very special. So the question I like to ask my guests that have played, what separates the elite player from just the average. <laughs> and most people are average, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's nope. a certain, and you've seen it because you've played it, you've, you've been it, uh, you're covering it now. What separates that elite player from just the average player, in your opinion? I, th- I think there are a couple of things. Um, you know, everybody talks about intangibles. But there are intangibles that, that you cannot see in a golf swing. You cannot see in a putting stroke. But you, you, the, it's, the, it's the heart and the drive and desire to push through um, thing, things that are hard, things that are uncomfortable. It's a drive to achieve no matter what. There's a willingness to sacrifice uh, something that feels good for something that feels bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, I, I look back on my 15 years of playing on the LPGA Tour and 
I can count on one hand the amount of vacations I've had. Mm, um, you know, it, it's the sacrifices that, that people make. I mean, it's not all, you know, everybody looks now at your Ricky Fowler's and your Justin Thomas and your Baker's Bay and all on vacation and Instagram and, mm-hmm. you know, Dustin Johnson on the yacht with Paulina and, you know, whatever it is. Um, but the, the, the reality is that's just one flash moment in time um, because for the most part they are busting, you know, we all bust ass and we all make sacrifices to, to get where we are. And uh, or to, to even just to, to make that move and to, to achieve, I, I think there's a there's a uh, not not accepting no. You know, if mm-hmm. somebody says no, you, it, that, you just ignore that and do what you need to do anyway. It's that it's the being comfortable with being on your own. I mean, there's there's, there's there, these are the intangible things I think that people um, need to to achieve. It's like I I look at you know Logan, my son now, who plays a lot of baseball. And I look at the intangibles. There's a lot of there's a lot of great talented kids out there, mm-hmm. but not all. But not they're not all going to make it. And even when I look at my son, I look at him. He's very talented. He's a big kid. He can flat out pound a baseball. But I look at him and I think, do you have it? He's starting to show me that he's got those. He's starting to show a few of those intangibles to me. Like like he's got a little drive in him. Like he's not willing to accept just being average. Like he's he's constantly working at it now, and he's mm-hmm. constantly. Um, wanting more from it, and the, uh, he's driving um, to, to achieve. And I'm like, huh, I wonder where he gets that from. <laughs> mm, yeah, apple don't fall far from the tree. That's just drive yeah, and will. Right. I think that's the number one thing that separates them. It's a drive and will. Yep. And like you said, being uncomfortable in an uncomfortable situation and those that can accept that. Uh, yeah. And I think that's the thing that really kind of separates the elite from the average, those things you're talking about. I mean, there's no question that's that's the big thing. You mentioned stepping away from the game. You get into TV. I remember yep. they just handed me a mic and said, talk. Now, we both can talk, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> you got to be able to talk in short sentences a little bit different. Uh, what was that like the first time you picked up a mic or maybe in front of the camera? Because uh, you're a little <laughs> outside your comfort zone. You're used to hitting the ball. Uh, now you got to talk yep. about it. What was that like that first time you picked up the camera and did some TV? Uh, well, it was it was wild. I had tagged along with, with Jerry, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry Foltz, uh, in Hawaii when I missed a cut. I just tagged along. and I just, just to look to see if it was something I could do. I'm like, I didn't even know if this was going to be something that, that would be possible for me. So I thought, I'd just go and see if I, I could do this. And whilst I was out there, I was playing through in my head what I would say if it was me that was having mm-hmm. to make the call. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I stand a chance of doing this. So a couple of months later, I missed the cut again, and I text uh, Beth Harder, who is our producer, and I asked her, I said, hey, is there any chance I could tag along with Jerry again and just to get some more experience and this and that? And she said, actually, we could do with a third on course. Do you want to do it? I'm like, uh, yeah. So <laughs> I, show, I showed up. I put a pack on. We had 30 minutes of rehearsal before we went on air, and then I was on air. <laughs> that wow, was it. that's scary. Jerry- Jerry gave me the rundown on, you know, what buttons to push, which mm-hmm. ones to switch over, just just a general, you know, a few tips and this and that, and and then uh, and here there I was out there talking, and and then the scariest moment of all was when Beth said to me as I'm walking up 18 and I'm following MB Park. Interview. Me, <laughs> interview. You knew it too. I'm like, no. So, so now I'm so worried about what I got to say, and then, she, then then I'm standing around waiting for the camera. I'm like, really? I've got to wait for the camera, and I'm so nervous. Yeah, it, it just people think it. And it does come natural after a while, but I think the hardest oh. thing, and people ask me, I mean, in, in you at that time, you were still kind of playing, just about to kind of stop playing. 
How do you yeah. separate being friends with these folks and being close to them and trying to stay neutral? Uh, and even times of people you may not even like, uh, and I've had people like that, yeah. too, but I mean, how do you stay neutral, especially let's just say Solheim cup because LPGA events are pretty easy to do that, yeah. but say Solheim cup. Cause you were a member of the European team. I was a member of the U S team yep. in the Ryder cup and I can't, we can't say we, but that's no. tough because that yeah. week is so ingrained in your body and your soul. It's tough to be neutral though, isn't it? It, it, it is. It is. And it isn't. Um, I mean, I, I know, I mean, you know me. I mean, I'm such a golf nerd that that I just get entrenched in the game. And so I just, I just, I just, I'm looking at the games and it's it's very easy just to look at the game uh, almost like a chess match. And so you're mm-hmm. looking at it all happening, you know, and you're, and you're not really paying attention to the colors and the, the, and what's happening on the scoreboards and this and that. You're, you're just, you're just in the game and in that moment. It's much like golf. I mean, you compartmentalize it and, and you, you, you see it like that. I mean, I, I always think, though, that I have one rule that, that, I, that, I, that kind of always plays through my mind. And it plays, obviously, have to play through it very quickly before I open my mouth and say something. And the rule is that, is this a fair comment? If it, if, well, how would I feel if somebody had said this about me? Mm-hmm. And as I was playing. And that's kind of my, my rule of thumb. Like, if it's a fair comment, they can't come. They, nobody can come at you with, with you know, with anger or something for for saying what, what you believe. And I've had a couple of ups and downs with with a, with a player and a coach about some of the things I say. You know, with a coach, it was like, look, you know, you can tell me whatever you want. This is just my opinion. This is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Obviously, other people are going to feel differently, but this is what I believe. And I'm sorry if it, if you know you took it the wrong way, but this is my 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 truth your take on and so yeah exactly and um so that that's always been part of it and and i think you know when it comes to the solheim cup for me i know all the players so well american european Mm -hmm. um it's like women's golf wins that week regardless of who takes home home the cup and i think that that's kind of what i try and keep in the back of my mind yeah, and you look back at the last one with Suzanne Pedersen. What a great competitor. Uh, I was yep. at 18 green. I thought the match was going to go back to Allie McDonald, who I'd watched as a kid growing up, and that's the hard part yep. sometimes for me because a lot of these, I call them kids, a lot of these young ladies are my daughter's ages. I've known them since college. I pull for them, but I don't. Uh, and Allie was special because she was on my daughter's college team. I've known her since she's 13, yep. and it looks like, oh, it's going back to that match. I go all the way back to 17, and Suzanne does what she does and makes the putt at 18, and it's over there. And I hear Beth yep. screaming, Jim, go in there, get an interview. I said, well, I can't get back, you know, because I didn't <laughs> think, you know, because there's so much going on. Uh, yep. And by the time I got there, it was too hard to get into the uh, – just so many people there. But what a way to go out. And, and like you said – the, the two that I've covered have been so cool to be part of in the women's game. Yeah. I've enjoyed watching the women's game, having a sister that played, a daughter, a wife, and all that. I've enjoyed it from my side uh, to watch these players, like you said, improve. But yeah. when you look at the game now, what are, you, what are the biggest changes you see in the way the women are playing versus maybe when you were playing? We were talking earlier before we got on here about yeah. instruction and everything like that. I mean, what are the biggest improvements, changes you've seen in the women's game? Well, I, I think what what we're seeing now is that is that women are being taught to play golf. Uh, mm. They're not being taught to play golf like a woman. Um, they're being taught to play golf. Um, they're being taught all the little finessey short game shots that sometimes they may not have been they may not have been 
uh, privy to the, that information because, you know, the, the perception is that women don't miss many greens. And granted, we don't. But but if, if you're never taught how to play the shots, how can you play aggressively? You're going to play a little bit more conservatively. You're going to play a bit more to the middle of the greens. So you don't have so many chips. Therefore, your green deregulation will be more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think now with the power revolution is coming to women's golf is going to be the biggest change. I, I look at a number of players that now... The, the, the difficulty that, that you face is is that uh, for the most part, you know, some of the longer players will come out on the LPGA Tour and they feel like they have to conform and mould their game to play in like LPGA players, to, to like an Inby Park or a Lydia Co or something like that that kind of hits it to the spot and hits it on the green and da da da, da. But if you've got a power of a Maria Fassi or a Bianca Pagaganan, you know, you, you've got to get out there and use it. You know, mm-hmm. And the, the cool thing about watching Bianca is that she's not afraid to use it. She wants to hit that driver. She wants to take it on down there. She wants to have these little shots into the green. And she's playing a game now that has the potential to really take women's golf to a whole new level. Because women should look at that and say, you know what? That's what I want to do. That's how I want to play golf. I want to I want to bomb it down there. I want to get as much distance out of it. But then once you get down there, you have to learn those little finessey short game shots. So I think that by being taught how to play those little short game shots is kind of opening up uh, this, this the, the driving revolution for the women's game because, um, quite frankly, it, it's impressive and it could really do wonders for, for how people view women's golf. Uh, the other biggest thing that I noticed this year, I was at the, the U.S. Women's Open covering that and it was the first time that there had been proper statistics for, mm-hmm. for women's golf. There was actual... Uh, proximity to the whole stats. Now, you never see that. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get that information. There's no way to really quantify just how good women golfers are. It's all very well for you or for I or for Jerry or Judy or Paige or whoever it is to say, um, yeah, they're, they're really accurate. You know, they, they'll hit a seven iron into about 15 feet every time, blah, 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 blah. Whatever it is. But people go, yeah, that, that's just them talking. Yeah, opinion over no facts. Real numbers to, yeah, there's no numbers to back it up. Let the U.S. Open. There was numbers to back it up, mm-hmm. and it was really very interesting for me. I think in um, college you're seeing that too. These college players have that information, and you cover the yeah. NCAA golf. I think that's like you said about the power game. They're, they have that ability to do that with TrackMan and all the ways they are able to 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 do that when they do get to the LPGA. So I think you're, it's even started in the college level, don't you? I do too, and and I and I think that you know, as you say, you know, when I do cover NCAA golf, it, it's Never, it, it never ceases to amaze me how impressive the players are now in college. And you can tell um, who's got it, who doesn't have it, who's going to make it, who's not. And, you know, we knew that Bianca was um, just w- when we watched her there in, you know, where was it? Where were we? Where, oh, in, in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this, is, this, this player is going to be big on the LPGA. And then here she is. And yeah. so... And Maria Fassi, everybody knew, you know, what she what she's capable of. I mean, she's yet to break through, um, but but I think she's I think she's a little uh, she doesn't embrace her length quite as much as as Bianca does yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she's still worried about missing, and I think if she was to improve that short game a little bit, she'd be able to to freewheel it a little bit more and just go for it which would be a very interesting prospect. Yeah, Jennifer Cupcho has made that adjustment. I mean, she's made yeah. that as well. And and I, it's amazing to see how many great players you're right. I mean, they're able uh, – and I think that's the thing on Maria. I think once she figures out to use the length to her advantage and not get too caught up in all the 
you know, trying to hit it longer and, and, and all the, I don't know, the pressure from the outside. I think, like you said, once she yeah. frees it up, watch out because the talent's definitely there. It's raw. It's fun to watch her because it's just natural. Yeah. It's not mechanical. Yeah. It's natural. It's pure. Uh, and it's so cool to, to watch her and, and these players that have come out that I have watched a, a little bit watching my girls play. But uh, oh, cool. last question, I know I've taken up so much of your time because you need to go probably mow a little yard or two. Uh, <laughs> luckily, luckily, the winter is not growing that quickly. So it's, <laughs> True. So, when so you it look, hasn't what, grown too much since we've been on the phone. No, it probably has since we've been on here. But when you look <laughs> back at your career, and, and this is always a tough question to ask, what are you most proud of? Your playing career. Not oh. TV. And that's always a tough one. I should probably warn everybody before I give it. Cause, but I want the real true, maybe that gut feeling when you're most proud of, of you know, starting where you started and getting to the LPGA, winning a major, blah, blah, blah. What, what are you most proud of? Um, I think it, it's, it's the, the one word is family. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I'll elaborate on that. I'm proud um, that I was able to um, allow my mother and father uh, to see me win um, after all the sacrifices they made for me to play golf and to allow me to live my dreams. I was, it was almost like my victories were their victories. Mm. And so that made me proud. But the, but the other thing that, that I cannot, you know, and these two things go hand in hand for me, it's, it's Logan. Um, I had Logan uh, when I was playing on a tour and he came and he traveled around the tour with me. I was, he was a, you know, a kid of the LPGA tour. He went into the LPGA daycare and, um, He's turned out to be a really well-rounded, good kid mm-hmm. because of the the life. I mean, it's not a normal life, and he wasn't ever on a really good schedule. But I think it's made him really flexible and able to roll with the punches and roll with the changes. And you know, he's a great student, and the daycare does a tremendous job with him. So I think I'm proud that I was able to um, that I was able to and am able to raise a great kid, having been a professional golfer and traveling with him as well. Toughest job in America, or the mom's yep. job. Toughest job in America, no question about <laughs> it. Karen, we appreciate you spending some time with us, and, and I always try to end it with this. Whether in life or golf, you, you may have only one shot, and you got to make it count. You're making it count, and you have made it count, both as a player, as a mom, and as a friend. And I appreciate you being on here with us to, uh, and spending some time with us. Well, I love talking to you today, and I love working with you, so let's do it often. All right, let's, uh, we'll spend some time. 2021 is going to be a good year, LPGA and golf in general. I'm looking forward to seeing you out there when we get there. But uh, stay warm and get out there and mow that yard again. <laughs> I'm right on it. All right, babe. Thanks. Thank you.